Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games LLC and is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Now, on with your show. Hello and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I am your host, Matthew, and as always, I have my two co-hosts here, Ryan. Did you like make some special music for the special episode, Matt? Of course I did. And Scott. Happy Star Wars Day, everybody. It's it's out today. I'm so excited. He's looking into the future. Yeah, I am. To the future in your crystal ball. My, no, my kyber crystal. <laughs> That's true. Get it, get it fucking right. Mine's, <laughs> mine's made with a crepe pearl. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and as this is a very special episode, we have a very special guest on. I'd like to introduce Matt McElroy, Operations Director for Onyx Path. He is live in studio via Skype, as usual. <laughs> uh, say hello, Matt. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Doing great. Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And as I said, this is a very special episode. This is the big five zero. We have been doing this almost two whole years now. It's been amazing. It's been a hell of a ride. We don't have enough money to buy a Ferrari, unfortunately. No, we're not there yet. Soon. Soon. Perhaps we'll hook up with a podcast half our age like Glitter Dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're growing. They're growing. Yeah, I know. Fantastic. Spe- especially also the Dark Archive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got plenty of podcast friends now. I like it. Pod friends. We're all pod friends here. It's like real friends, except sounds. <laughs> except sounds on the internet. Yeah, and so I just want to, before we get into the meat of the episode and talk with Matt with everything he does over at Onyx Path and uh, what he used to do with Drive Through RPG, I want to say thank you to every single listener, downloader, and especially Patreon member. You guys have really given us the momentum and the support we needed to keep going. We would not be here in the 50th episode without you guys. So give yourself a pat on the back, a, a single high five, whatever. I will point out to you that in, we have a polyhedron chat on Facebook. And anytime a person joins our Patreon, Matt, re- he, he will tell us and we are all... Ex- very happy about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we, we, we do appreciate all the support you're giving. So that's 50 episodes in the can, as it were. Fifth, let's go 50 more. 100, 100 more. 100, 100, 100, 100, 100, 100, 100 episodes. 100 adventures. <laughs> yeah. I am entirely behind that. Let's deal with that anymore. Let's get right down to the meat of it. Matt, welcome aboard to Polyhedron. And let's first off start by, Matt, you work for Onyx Path, is that correct? I do. Uh, I'd been freelancing with them for a while, but about a year ago, I got brought on full-time as the uh, operations manager. So I kind of keep everything functioning as a company. I deal with our convention presences. I deal with our retailers, uh, distributors. Um, I help uh, bring all of the we've got a content coordinator and we've got an art director and I kind of make sure that they all have all the pieces they need to get things done and of course we have individual game developers and writers that work on specific books but somebody's got to kind of bring all of those different things across the finish line so we can give you guys books to play with so you are literally the glue that holds the ship together yeah i um uh, before i worked at drive through i worked for borders um I was a trainer there, so I'd worked in uh, book sales and, and book distribution a lot. And then uh, I worked at Drive Through RPG for many, many years. I started there in 2007. Um, 
so I knew a lot about publishing and the industry and distributor, distributors and retail and gamers and how they buy books. And as Onyx Path has grown, lots of Kickstarters, lots of different game lines, um, licenses, creator-owned properties. Uh, Rich was looking for help growing that team and and you know making stuff happen on a more regular schedule to. Uh, just manage all of those different pieces. Yep, that sounds really great. Um, and we're certainly gonna gonna talk more about that. But but uh, to really start off, I kind of want to know a little bit more about like you, like what's your history with role playing? Like how'd you get started in this whole crazy hobby? Uh, wow. Yeah. So I've been a gamer pretty much as long as I can remember. But um, years and years and years ago, uh, I ran a World of Darkness LARP, and uh, we made a website about it. And as the game itself started to wind down uh, me and a couple of friends didn't want that site to go away so we started doing game reviews and interviews with uh, people working on different horror games we had so we expanded from world of darkness to also include call of cthulhu and uh, different anything basically horror related and i started interviewing people in the industry so i got to know a lot uh, i'd get press passes to gen con and origins and then I did a little bit of freelancing here and there, um, and then I approached the drive through Steve Wick, who was running drive through RPG at the time. They had just recently launched drive through Comics, and 2006, I want to say, Diamond, the big comic distributor, mm-hmm. uh, did a threshold increase. So that meant if you were a small press comic publisher, you didn't get distributed anymore. So I made friends in different different industries over the years and I said you should really jump on this because all these comic book publishers don't have a way to sell their books and Steve was like well let's see what you can do with that I hadn't really been looking for a job at the time because I was having fun at Borders (laughs) funny how that works out Um, yeah sometimes when you're the idea guy (laughs) you end up making a job for yourself so I started out working on drive-thru comics and talking to publishers, getting them to sign up on the site, marketing, talking about how digital comics are going to be the next big wave. And remember, this is before the iPad. So at the time, oh, yeah. nobody was like, digital comics, that'll never take off. <laughs> that'll never be a thing. Now there's, now, there's, now there's like 20 apps. Yeah, but on the RPG side, a lot of small press um, RPG publishers have been selling PDFs for years. Um, Ron Edwards, Jason Blair with Little Fears. He was one of the first publishers to do PDFs, mm-hmm. hero games. Um, and of course, uh, RPG Now existed, uh, started in 2001. So anyway, I, I was working on comics for a while. And then as Drive RPG kept growing and growing, we did some reorganization to pull me over on the gaming side. And borders closed not long after that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, maybe so you were the lucky well rabbit's foot. Yeah, so um, I worked for on the RPG side um, from 2007 to now. I helped launch DMs Guild. Um, uh, we did D and D Classics in 2012, mm-hmm. uh, but then uh, we switched to DMs Guild, which allows D and D fans to create and publish their own Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And I still uh, manage that site for them. Oh, very good. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, doing the director of publishing gig that I used to because now I get to torment Onyx Path developers and <laughs> things so like that. you got your start like actually role-playing, it sounded like, in the World of Darkness. Was that correct? 
No, uh, I did D and D. My first character was a pissed off dwarf. I think I was four years old. Um, <laughs> oh man! Because my next door neighbors had a group, and a couple of the guys got jobs, so they needed more players. So they were like, "Do this." I mean, I, I had four. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I stuck with it. Nice. You know, they, they would tell me what to do, and I'd be like, "I hit it," and then I would get up and hit them. So uh, I was actually kind of larping while they were table topping because <laughs> you were an angry dwarf being an angry next dwarf. Level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like for these guys that were um, middle to high school, I was a I was dwarf sized, so it worked out pretty well. It really helped with the immersion. Theater of the mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make up crazy shit at the time, and they would kind of steer it into the right direction. But my first real game that I was um, really into and that I ran a lot was the old TSR Marvel superheroes game. Oh, weird. Oh, yeah. Interesting. That's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I got bored with the actual Marvel Universe, so I started creating my own characters and my own world, and uh, that's when I did my first real world building. And then, of course, uh, eventually at Borders, I'm stocking books on the shelf in sci-fi fantasy, and then there's this green marble thing, and I'm like, what is this? (laughs) And that pretty much... It calls to you. It calls to (laughs) you from the aether. And it's really up to you what type of music is playing in the background (laughs) as you slowly zoom in on the cover. I mean, it can be really dark or it can be really happy, but it's going to be grandiose either way <laughs> <laughs> role playing wise you went from D&D you had Marvel and you obviously found uh, Vampire uh, what are some of the other games you sort of grew up with what you enjoy playing oh I was um, I was a big Ravenloft guy I mean I went from regular D&D to Ravenloft and I kind of never left it um, and then I've played a little bit of everything I've this year was my 40th no my 30th Gen Con Jesus uh, nice um, because I lived in Wisconsin and it was an easy drive for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to go to Gen Con. And then, of course, after I started Flames Rising, I was going there for quote unquote work, getting <laughs> the press pass and interviewing uh, game designers and uh, reviewing stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, I very early on got interested in uh, smaller press weird stuff. So I, I hooked up with a lot of the Forge uh, forum mm-hmm. guys. Like, Ron Edwards and Little Fears and Jared Sorensen. So I played Inspectors and uh, Sorcerer and um, My Life with Master. And uh, I really like the possibilities of the industry allowing people to create their own weird indie games. Um, Absolutely. Burning Wheel Wheel was a game that really changed how I thought about running fantasy uh, early on. Slowly looking yeah. into Burning Wheel because Chris, our uh, previous episode, was uh, was uh, blessed to pass along the information to me about uh, a, his Burning Wheel's version of Dune. And I've been slowly finding oh, it yeah. and sort That's of grinding yeah. through it and trying to understand why Dune works with the Burning Wheel system. That's really cool. So, yeah, I, I've jumped around a lot, um, but I, I kind of um, – most of my games are horror and dark fantasy, mm-hmm. so – Cool. Ravenloft, Midnight, uh, Call of Cthulhu, Trail of Cthulhu, The World of Darkness. Um, I ran a, an Abyssal's Exalted game for a while. Nice. How was that? Yeah, actually, that that was my question. Like, so, what's a while? Because that's that's a tough run. About, about a year. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of character turnover. <laughs> uh yeah one of our one of our uh, friends of the show and one of our first guests uh mr michael goodwin uh was he he uh 
had a good hand in, in Abyssals. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah he did. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. And there's a lovely story. I won't repeat it, but uh, but it, it, it's a wonderful one. I'm sure we talked about it in an earlier episode. Yeah, I think it's like if you go back and say, uh, who is Michael Goodwin, which is the episode title for that one, go back, listen to it. It's a great time. Um, and there's a great, great, great and f- funny story at Matthew's expense. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's how I became <laughs> friends with Michael Goodwin. Um, <laughs> gotcha. But for your pistol game, though, what was just give us with one quick story, uh, like what your favorite moment in that game? Um, my favorite moment was whenever I could get the characters to turn on each other. Because <laughs> <laughs> then I could just sit back. Yeah. Oh, I'm, my uh, job's done. I'm just going to sit here. Just, I got a beer in my hand. Just We're let, good. Just let the just hear that clatter. Yeah. Just for um, the D10s. <laughs> Yeah, and that happened quite a bit, um, which is one of the things I really liked about it because each of them had their own agency and their own goals, and they worked together as a group kind of out of convenience because otherwise they would get killed much faster. Uh, but you could tell that it was um, it was an alliance of necessity more than any actual um, loyalty to each other. Right. It was like, well, we like you – just a little bit more than we like those guys, so we'll go forward with that. That's always um, that that sort of game is like next level difficult to be a player in. You have to really want to be part of the we're a band of evil bastards, but we you know it's better than nothing, I suppose. Because interparty conflict. Well, we've had entire episodes about like the difficulties of interparty conflict. It sounds like with with that particular brand of Exalted Dode that you are signing on. Like, yeah, they knew that one. going into it. Um, it was pretty fascinating uh, watching how some of them uh, embraced evil, but others didn't think they were the bad guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, that's that's right one of the things proper. I love about the Abyssals is uh, their worldview offers them a lot of different styles of play. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I always like the, the the dark hero version of the abyssals, uh, you know, which it's up. It's kind of up to the the table and the GM how doomed of a prospect that is. But I, I always thought that was kind of a cool take on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, very cool. And now that we sort of gotten to know you a little bit better mm-hmm. and gotten gotten into your head a bit, so as operations director of Onyx Path. Uh, how was that coming into such a renowned company? Because they essentially, when White Wolf originally uh, went away uh, and sort of lay fallow, as it were, um, they sort of picked up the mantle of the of the World of Darkness, and it was called the World of Darkness for a while. Um, what is it like to come into a company like that? Well, the, the, the interesting part is... Um when Rich uh, left White Wolf, because uh, they were part of CCP at the time, the mm-hmm. people that make EVE Online, um, he had decided that he wasn't really happy doing video games, and he wanted to go back to publishing RPGs. So he was going to start Onyx Path either way. Um, and then at White Wolf at the time decided that there's they're not a – the CCP White Wolf decided they're not really a publisher. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've – been doing it for a few years since the merger but it's really not their specialty and rich had been leading that effort in-house as a, a, at, on the side of working on the, the video games um so onyx path was going to be formed as his own little indie company and he approached them with the idea of well since you guys aren't really going to keep publishing this stuff um how about you license some of it to me and i keep publishing and they were like well you 
you've been publishing for as the creative director of White Wolf for 20 years, you know what you're doing. So that's kind of how Onyx Path got those first licenses for the World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was the new World of Darkness um, and Exalted. And then Onyx Path purchased uh, Scion and Trinity outright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are owned by Onyx Path. And a couple years later, Nocturnal Media and Onyx Path partnered to buy the Scarred Lands from see white wolf and that's a D setting right yeah during the big d20 third edition days uh that was white wolf's uh campaign setting mm-hmm. i mean they had a license from wizards of the coast to do ravenloft if anybody remembers the third edition ravenloft yes. books with the black covers but they also had their own ga- campaign setting called the scarred lands um and we've recently brought that back as both pathfinder and 5e OGL version, so it would depend whatever awesome. flavor of D and D you like, you can play <laughs> Scarlands. So, uh, f- um, fans of uh, the podcast will know that uh, Onyx Path holds uh, one of my favorite RPGs of all time, which is the Trinity Universe stuff. Um, so, uh, I-, I am vibrating with excitement when for when yeah, that comes the, out. Yeah, uh, the Kickstarter's in January. Oh, really? I'm yep. going to spend so much money. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it, it it really is one of my, I I I. I I've been a White Wolf fan for, for a long time, and I know I'm in the minority, but I've always thought that was one of the best. That was the best, if not one of the best things they've ever done. So I'm really glad that it, it lives on in, in in the hands of people who you know give a crap about it. Yeah, we've got a really great team working on Trinity. Um, Trinity and StoryPath uh, and Scion are are going to be part of the StoryPath system, which is a evolution of previous systems that we've uh, had a team design specifically for those games and how you can do tiered play and uh, different power levels and different types of story. Uh, What I've seen of the story path system, because I'm kind of the system guy at this table. uh, I've really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to do some remarkable things. Um, You guys are also doing things that seem to like in general, the trend of of most games, most modern games are seeming to go in that direction of sort of more of a narrative sort of cinematic style of, of bouncing initiative around and sort of, you succeed, but with with a price or with a complication sort of system. Which yeah, I- one of the things we've looked at is, um, I mean, when did Trinity first get published, and and Sci- even Scion, uh, which came much later. Um, we've all learned a lot about play style and game design since then. So why not take those lessons into the new edition? Uh, absolutely, I wholeheartedly agree with that, uh, and that's really cool. So you said that was January that the Trinity yep. one is going to drop. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and it'll be like the Scion Kickstarter that we did earlier uh, last year, where it's um, two books at launch. Yeah, plus cool. if we hit goal and people love it, uh, we get some cool stretch goals in there and build from there. Well, now, now I know how. Now I know how to arrange my budget for the next couple, next couple months. <laughs> yeah, save that Christmas money <laughs> because yeah. yeah, I am. I am not kidding. <laughs> get, get your W twos, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. He's gonna be at H and R Block January first. Like, yeah. All right. I need my tax return well, yeah. on this. <laughs> I backed Scion, the actual one, uh, when it kickstarted just to get the book, the physical books and everything. Um, and I'm looking forward to when I get my hands on those. And obviously, I will definitely back Trinity and especially Aberrant. Aberrant's my big game. Oh yeah, I, I love all of the Trinity Universe things. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plunk down the money for all of them. Yep, man. Awesome. Now that you're sort of in the driver's seat, and you've obviously said you got some of these kickstarters brewing. Uh, what other things are you looking forward to seeing with Onyx Path? Where do you want to sort of – where do you want it to go? What do you want it to do? Oh, well, um, 
I mean, so many things, of course. Uh, we, uh, Pugmire was the first book of ours that we're putting back in stores. Nice. Um, and we're doing, going forward, the current Kickstarter we're doing for Changing the Lost Second Edition, um, we're actually planning on releasing that book into stores after we fulfill cool. backer copies. Awesome. Um, we're trying that with a few different things. Cavaliers of Mars uh, was one of those. Trinity is going to be a retail launch for us as well. Um, cool. Part of the thing was, um, as Onyx Path originally started, we didn't own most of the books we were putting out. They were done under license. Mm-hmm. and. We, the gaming industry, uh, a lot of customers shop online now, so that was a, an area we wanted to really lock down and be really good at uh, as we slowly expand uh, into getting back into stores. And we found good partners with uh, Indie Press Revolution and Studio 2 Publishing, who both handle direct to stores and a little bit of distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it was we needed the right partners to help us make the next step. So a lot of what I do is talking to retailers and talking to conventions and figuring out ways to get our books into gamers' hands and how they use them. Um, yeah. That, obviously, you, obviously you're no stranger to Kickstarter as we've just been talking about that. It's very interesting that you're still, you're still trying to put books into stores because that sort of thing, it's good. It's, it is useful, but it's nowhere where it was. And as you said, you wanted to sort of be, uh, championing the online print on demand sort of model um do you have do you have a lot of faith that 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 putting books onto shelves is still a very viable strategy we do we i mean i'm a big fan of the local game store uh i live in madison and we've got fantastic stores like pegasus games and i'm bored um who really are a part of the gaming community but we want to make sure we do it right Mm -hmm. um we we don't want to do the supplement treadmill, just cranking books out to crank books out to get them in stores. Um, there's so many products out now that some stuff's getting lost um, because retailers and distributors just can't keep up with the, the amount of products. So they don't know, they don't have the depth of knowledge when somebody comes in and looking for a new game. Mm-hmm. We want we want to build those relationships. It does take time, uh, but we want to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. We, we want to give good products to retailers that want to have them rather than just here's our latest thing. Um, and we want, we want people to be excited to game in their store to support the, a good store. And uh, so that's really a big part of my job is figuring out how those relationships are going to work. Cool. Yeah. Being a community, sort of a community director or, or at least a community founder is very important because role-playing game is in our modern 21st century world where everyone's connected, everyone's got a phone, uh, basically a laptop in their pocket, and everyone's talking to each other. It's one of the few activities that really still is like face-to-face, generally, conversation about playing a game. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, same thing can be said with like tabletop board games. That's still a very constructed, social, uh, uh, face-to-face event. And it, it's very interesting to see those two are beginning to like sort of bleed into each other. Mm-hmm. Like you see, you're seeing like, you know, the legacy, the legacy board games that are like, well, you only get so many of these because it's a continuous story and uh, there is an ending. It's sort of a, you know, player choice matters from game to game. And I mean, we, we have a thing, uh, called RPGs that do that. So, <laughs> so it's very interesting to see how we're sort of veering, they're sort of veering together. 
It's funny you mention that because I keep on my Facebook feed, I keep getting this ad for this game. This board game is almost just like an RPG. I'm like, then why don't I just play an RPG? If this board game is like an RPG, why don't I just play, uh, you know, an RPG? I don't have to play a board game. Yeah. What are you trying to sell me? They've just been listening to <laughs> um, us, man. Yeah, the, the entire industry is changing. Uh, have you guys seen that article about how half of new D&D players have been introduced online, either YouTube or Twitch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that... You got Geek and Sundry and, and people cool. live streaming their games and things like that. Um, Aw. I'm actually super interested. I have not read this article. I, I haven't read it, but that makes me. I mean, that's that's neat because I'm pretty sure that the numbers are really good in terms of engagement and probably way better than they were during the fourth ed days. Yeah, and you've got like critical hit. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a huge critical, critical role, fan, hit fan. And, um, yeah, Matthew Mercer uh, and his game, and you've got celebrities coming out and playing games and talking about games and Deborah Wall on uh, Daredevil and the new Punisher series. She mm-hmm. runs D&D. <laughs> That's um, rad. People yeah, really like it, Harmon Quest also, it seems. Yeah. Like. yeah. I mean, that's another example of, of uh, people who have not played RPGs before getting into it. And we were just at PAX Unplugged. And for the first time in several years, I was at a gaming convention where I had to explain what an RPG is. Huh. Yeah. It w- was it good? Pax Unplugged yeah, was good? Yeah, Pax Unplugged, it was probably my favorite show of the year, um, just because there was so much energy and so much people trying new things for the first time. One of the th- things about Gen Con is a lot of uh, the people that go to Gen Con are regulars, mm-hmm. and they're, they're into their thing. Like, they play D&D, or they play Call of Cthulhu, or they play Vampire, and that's what they're into. And they go to Gen Con to play and to find out that and to talk to game designers that worked on their thing. They don't try a lot of new games. Um, of course, some do, but you get that over and that feeling that um, a large part of that crowd is experienced and they know what they're into and they want to play that and they're going to have fun doing it. And that's great. Um, PAX, it was like most of the crowd, everything was new to them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's this? Cool. Mm-hmm. I want to play a demo of this thing over here. That sounds and, awesome. And so every, you know, either in the demo hall or the exhibit hall, they were just experiencing new things everywhere they went. And it's a totally different kind of energy. And both shows are really important to publishers and gamers. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. my wife and I are going to make serious plans to try and get at the PAX Unplugged. We year. hope as polyhedron to make it to PAX Unplugged next year, because I feel like that that's like, well, where else would we do? A yep. show from <laughs> like that, <laughs> and, duh. and and I'm super excited about like you know I, I like to refer to it as the transmission of the virus, uh, just the, the 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 hobby and the the, the whatnot. It, it, I love it getting out there to new faces and new ways, uh, just because I I really do think that role playing is the uh, it's it's kind of the er hobby, like it's it's the thing that that we we as a species need. So I'm oh. I'm glad that it's getting out there in new it, and exciting it's ways. It's very much like sitting down by the caveman fire and telling stories. It's just everyone gets to say a part of the story, mm-hmm. right? And Og is very adamant that Og has plus five on his club role. That is true, and Og, Og uh, is allowed to have that by the rules that uh, are written on this on this uh, piece um, of stone. Og gets super pouty if he doesn't get it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and I want to be at PAX Unplugged. I mean, that's and also, uh, since this is the 50th episode, I want to get a tiny bit sentimental. Um, that's part of the reason why I made Polyhedron the way I did, was I wanted to st- see if I can really make a podcast about the hobby of 
role-playing in all its incarnations and sort of uh, uh, denominations, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can, it can be a little religious. Yes. And and so I really wanted to sort of build, just like uh, Matt here explained that he wanted sort of to found these communities through his role-playing books, through the books he's helped produce and publish, I want Polyhedron should be there to help people guide them along that journey if they so see fit that we are wise enough to uh, listen to, which I appreciate. Or at least kind of funny sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like the low bar we're shooting for. I mean, you know, shoot for the stars, but... <laughs> so back to back to the more yep. the interviewee stuff, though. Uh, Matt, from your perspective, I, I mean, you sound like you are like... In a very high tower right now, not to like, not to say like, like you're high and mighty or anything. I'm saying like you have a very an eagle eye view of the life cycle of a game, or at least it seems that way. Would would you say that that's kind of accurate? You you could see a game go from beginning, to, like its inception, to it being on the shelves. Yeah, definitely. Um, both in my current job, but also um, as when I was running drive through RPG and doing some freelancing and publishing myself, I've seen kind of all the different facets of concept, hiring, development, uh, crowdfunding, uh, publication, uh, begging customers for reviews, <laughs> um, uh, selling them and running demos at conventions and things like that. So I've pretty much been involved in all of different facets of that um, with a lot of different games and uh, different properties. And I've seen, over the years, different licensing and different uh, OGL programs come and go. Um, so. so actually, um, with that, why don't you, if you're willing to indulge us, can you quickly take us kind of through that life cycle? I think that'd be very interesting because no one's ever like mapped it out for me or I've never heard anyone map it out. Okay, sure. Um, plus, I will give you guys some cool blog posts that you can put in the show notes. That's fantastic. Excellent. Awesome. As well. Um, so one of the things is uh, we get games pitched to us, um, and different people pitch different ways. Sometimes it's in person, sometimes it's a big outline, um, and the publisher then has to see if that fits into their the type of game that they like, because you don't want to pitch a board game to somebody that just does RPGs, for example. Um, but uh, then uh, if it's a go, then usually there's... I mean, this varies quite a bit, so it's kind of a broad question because um, if I'm just publishing my own game, obviously a bunch of these steps don't apply because I've already got the idea and the I'm the publisher, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you're pitching a game Approved. to a publisher, they need to figure out if they've got the budget for it, if they've got um, room in their schedule because you can only put out so many books per year based mm -hmm. on how much how big of a team you have um what other assets you've got available um but we'll just say we get to yes then um if you're not writing the game yourself you're going to hire freelancers so you're going to look for people that are either good at writing setting or rules or both preferably both mm -hmm. um you're going to give them word count assignments you're going to tell them in your outline what this chapter is about what the themes are why what information you want to accomplish when they write that particular work um and then there's usually lots of back and forth uh, we call that red lines um you give me a rough draft i mark it up with my red pen or these days it used word or google docs mm -hmm. um 
And then there's back and forth. There's sometimes there's second draft that's kind of an official stage where it's first draft, red lines, second draft, red lines, final draft. Sometimes some teams instead are much more organic where there's lots of I can comment on your Google Doc as you're working on it and we can brainstorm up different ideas. And some teams use Slack or Skype or Discord um, to do a lot of that brainstorming and answering questions and things like that. Uh, and eventually the book goes into editing and layout and art direction and different companies do those steps different at different stages. So you can, you can have an art director that's hiring art, um, during the writing process, but usually they need to know what kind of art the book's going to need. So mm-hmm. someone's got to give them art notes and art direction. Um, and eventually some publishers do crowdfunding like if you're looking at the changeling the lost kickstarter that we're running now every week we're unlocking uh new chapters of the book mm-hmm. as raw text that backers can read and discuss and ask questions about um which allows them to see that the book is mostly written before they spend their money on the on the kickstarter not everybody does that some people um don't want to put a lot of time and effort into the game until they know there's a demand for it. So you have I to mean, pick how your funding is going to happen too. Yeah, there, there's a, a lot of different strategies in there. Exactly. Um, some publishers don't use crowdfunding at all because they budget out their year. This is how much we have to spend per book and this is how many books we want to put out. And then it goes into retail or it goes up on drive through RPG. Uh, they sell on their own site, things like that. Um, Crowdfunding has, of course, changed a lot of how the gaming industry gets books made and how mm-hmm. they deliver those to their fans too. So uh, it, it's been, a, you know, absolutely fantastic for the industry. I, I, I mean, or at least it looks that way. A lot of stuff that you know, you know, might have been gone at this point if we were in the old system. Can it, you know, you can vote with your money, and that's always good. I was just gonna say one of the things I love about crowdfunding, and not just Kickstarter, but you also look at Patreon and stuff, is it allows creators to directly interact with fans. Sometimes, uh, quite a bit before the book is done, so the fans get to um, say, "We need a chapter that does this cool thing." Or once a, a book is funded and you're into stretch goals, um, the community is really involved with developing where that property is gonna go next. Uh, Patreon on a smaller scale does that as well because a lot of designers that are using Patreon uh, upload drafts and and patrons get to really give cool direct feedback like, well, I need a character that does this kind of thing or uh, I really love how you did design this adventure. Can we see more of that? Or, or ask the question that you forgot to answer. <laughs> yeah, and because um, years ago when it was, well, this is the new book that came out this quarter – that book's done and designed, and, and and the only time people got to interact with the designers was either at a convention or by mail. Mm-hmm. So now we get to get feedback, like on the changeling text, before the book is published. So if, if part of that text is confusing or doesn't make sense or contradicts a different chapter, we know that ahead of time because the – backers of the project are actually involved with giving us feedback pretty much live and it's a fascinating experience and and they will tell you if something doesn't make sense <laughs> absolutely they they, they uh, have it they have it marked they have they know what line it is i mean yeah, yeah. i mean 
that kind of feedback is in, invaluable. I think that's part of the reason why role-playing games are becoming more accurate and better overall in the long run. Because I remember many times in the in the 90s when we would pull up a role-playing book, they'd be like, well, there's a contradiction here and here, and you'd have to search maybe for a clarification There might somewhere. be an errata somewhere on the internet buried in the deep dark. Yeah, if you were lucky, or you just have to do the ye old house rule and then clarify it from there. But also, it, it lets the audience, uh, which is your readers and your players, sort of say, hey, this is the stuff that we like, and we th- and it hypes them, and it gets everyone else hype, and it, and it just propagates everyone by word of mouth to say, hey, you should back this Kickstarter. It's a really cool game, because I backed it, and everyone sort of just swells from that point forward. And, and I really think that that's why we're seeing, like, there are many, many different games coming out, a billion of them. Yeah. But a lot of them seem to have a much more narrative focus now and a much less bang your dead uh, element to it. A lot of, uh, you know, just based on, around what I grew up with, right? Sure. So I think that was just a, that's a community feedback thing. It's like, hey, I, I, ca- I care. Please don't just kill me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also think that's just the style of role playing because, and this would be a whole other episode, so I'll be very, very brief about this, is like, in the bang or dead sort of games, they're like, we're trying to be very simulationist. We're trying to, because we don't have a lot of feedback and we don't know the focus of what the game is really supposed to be. We're trying to cover all our bases. Yep. Whereas we're, if you got a game that's a little more narrow, a little bit smaller in scope, you can tailor the experience and therefore make it breathe a little bit more narratively in the direction you want it to be, want it to go so that everyone can have a better time in that experience. Sorry, I was going on a tangent. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. Um, that's one of the great things about the publishing uh, models that people have, a- game designers have access to these days is um, there's a lot of different options for putting your book out. You can do PDF only. You can do print on demand. You can use crowdfunding to, to help you budget and, and get better art and mm-hmm. get other designers on. Whereas if you're just a guy publishing your little game, maybe you've only got enough money to hire an editor or somebody to lay it out, but crowdfunding can help you raise funds to make your book better. Plus all of that feedback and errata and stuff gets done much earlier in the process. And of course with PDF and print on demand, you can make changes and and improve the product as well. So it's a really neat opportunity to, like uh, we just released Half Damned for Vampire the Requiem Second Edition, and right now it's a it's a, what we call an advanced PDF, and we've got a thread on the Onyx Path forums where people can give us feedback. Like I don't understand this rule, or there's a typo here, or um, this piece of art didn't line up correctly. Mm-hmm. So we can make mm-hmm. those fixes before we even do make the print on demand version. And I, I think so, that's that's super great too, because you know, as a person who's going to be purchasing the book, I would you know you want it to look nice, you want it to be. You 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 would much prefer the thing that you paid f- like forty dollars for and is in your hands to be well laid out, you know, have nice art and no, no, you know, just a well put together you know book. Which back in the day, you know, you got when when splat books were the thing. Ugh. Well, I I remember uh, the the joy and confusion of finding page XX in the Malkavian clan book. Yep, exactly. Because um, at at that time. 
you know they had they used editors and and they they checked e- developed each other's work and stuff. <laughs> but they also had a really tight publication schedule to get the books to the printer to then get the books to the distributor. Mm-hmm. So they come out on time. And if there's typos or they missed a page XX, well that's pretty much it because that they've printed x number of copies and put them into distribution they can't go fix that and at this point that's um, kind of eternal because like yeah i mean you could probably go find the mount caving clan book in pdf form now and well there XX it is, it is. <laughs> yep exactly uh so that like this half damned book that we just released um people are requiem fans can be on the forum and be like uh there's a typo here and a typo here and mike will go in and, and fix those and then people that want the print-on-demand version will actually get a coupon to offset the price, so they never have—they're not paying full price for the PDF and the print. They're actually paying the combo price that we charge. Right. Because usually, if you buy the POD and a PDF, you get somewhat of a bargain. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the tools now to make sure that people are not uh, having to pay full price for both versions. Hey, I like a coupon. I, I do like a deal. <laughs> Thank you very much for going over that sort of uh, history and sort of life cycle of of getting a role playing game developed because uh, I knew some of those steps and but you definitely put them out very succinctly and I thank you for that. It, it, so I'm going to go back to a little more personal with you. What you obviously like the dark uh, and sort of gothic stories, um, uh, so that sort of made you a really good fit for Onyx Path um, and being in that driver's seat, as it were. Yeah, I'd I'd been running a vampire LARP uh, for many years, plus uh, the my Flames Rising website where I interviewed lots of designers and uh, reviewed. But I had I had had a strong relationship with White Wolf, uh, where they would give me review copies and I would interview people before a new project came out. Um, and then I did some freelancing for White Wolf, and then I had freelanced for Onyx Path on various things um, since they started in 2012. Um, and then it just made a good fit that I already knew everybody there and mm-hmm. um, I knew what was coming up in the publication schedule and kind of where Rich wanted to go as to getting books back in stores, things like that. So it just sort of made a, a good fit. I'd already been a freelancer for the company. So moving from freelance to full time, just sort of a natural progression. Right. I think that's, that's sort of the dream job, right? You sort of, yeah. you work, you work <laughs> I really to hard. Take all my nerd hobbies and do them full time. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. That's a life, man. That's a pay, life. Pay, uh, you get paid to play. Mm-hmm. Paid to play. No, no, you really do hard work. Everyone does. Uh, uh, yeah. Administration. Uh, wish I, I wish I got to play more. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Well, we we we've got some Patreon content that we've recorded. Wait, are we talking about like what it is now? Yeah, yeah. We talked. Okay, okay, we're doing a Shadowrun Anarchy game for our patrons, and man, you could just look around the table when like we're a bunch of grown ups. Like we actually get to play. We get to play the game. We're grown ups. Yay! (laughs) It was. was, Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of my gaming these days is um, playtesting or demoing stuff that we're working on okay then then Um, that leads directly into my question what is one game that you know is coming out that is not from onyx path or white wolf what's a game that you are looking forward to that's not in that kind of circle ones that i can talk about that narrows it down a little Um, i'm really looking forward to the fall of delta green from pelgrane press which was um part of the kickstarter for the new edition of delta green that arc dream did so it is a gumshoe Delta Green book about when the organization got 
taken down. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ooh. it's historical. Uh, I mean, it's not really, it's not like dark ages, but it's, um, uh, sixties, I think. And, uh, so it'll, it takes all the cool things about trailer Cthulhu and all the cool things about Delta green and mashes them in together. in this really cool. Yeah, I've never heard of uh, Delta green before. So uh-huh. this is new to me. Oh, Delta Green is what happens if you take X Files and Call of Cthulhu and slam them together. Cool, badass. Yeah, I've heard about that one yeah. before. That that sounds yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's a it is specifically a Call of Cthulhu game, but it's much more modern. The first books came out in the '90s and were very X Filesy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's your government agents working for a secret. Uh, clandestine organization uh, fighting back against cultists and the mythos. Not, oh man, that sounds and, like fun. Yeah, and uh, Arc Dream put a new edition out uh, over the past year, and one of the stretch goals during the Kickstarter was Pelgrane was going to do a specific game about the organization going through its first major catastrophe, and it uses the Gumshoe engine, and there it should be delivering sometime this year, and I'm super excited because uh, yeah make sure you get yourself a game of that make sure make sure you play because you got to relax damn it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but i love i mean i end up being the gm most of the time um part of it is i love world building and i love um telling stories and getting uh p- players to tell their story about their character in the world one of the great things about like the apocalypse world and dungeon world engine is you ask a ton of questions. Yep. So I could turn to one of you and be like, all right, you walk into the bar and there's a surly one-eyed dwarf polishing glasses and he really hates you. What happened a year ago <laughs> that made him hate? Because That's now cool. you as a player are, are helping create the world because right. you're telling this cool backstory about you and the dwarf and how he lost his eye. And, and that's part of the setting I don't have to create because I'm empowering you to do that. Yeah, that, that really is the new sauce, I think, and like, I right. love that direction that it's going because because it's it really is all about telling a story together, uh, and that when mechanics reinforce that, I think that's just that's the way things should go. Also, teaching people to yes and in a controlled environment is actually very good for everyone's social skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, very much so. Yes and is will get you so far in life. Just you just got to know how. Yep, uh, I'm learning a lot more about that, and because you said. Uh, the apocalypse system because I've been listening to critical hit and they're doing the uh, urban shadow stuff. And that stuff's really fascinating because they're talking more of the mechanics and how the debt system works and the back and forth that everyone gets around the table, not just with the GM, but with each other too, and sort of building the universe and, and the web of social net connections that they all have. Yeah, the thing that sounds sexiest to me about that is like number like I, I did this joke off off. But I'll do it again. Family feud, things that are said at a table most, you are not there right now, is like top one mm-hmm. of those things. Survey now, says? Survey says, you're not here right now. Uh, so that, any system that lets you be like, but I totes am. Like, I totally am yeah. here right now. In Urban Shadows, magic. there's a splat slash uh, playbook that lets you, one of the abilities in that playbook is you can be in a scene if you want to be there, um, but it requires you either somebody spending debt or acquiring debt uh, so that you can, even the other PCs be like, we really could use this guy here right now. Well, if you were willing to take on the debt, he shows up. You literally can kind of just summon him. And so he shows up. Yeah, it's a very interesting system. I'm looking forward to Urban Shadows. I think I'm probably going to pick up a copy of it. Um, but it's cool that you're going to be looking at the fall of Delta Green. I think that's, that is a really cool setting. 
Yeah, I, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's. I've always been a big fan of the mythos, uh, especially for gaming, and then Delta Green bringing it into a modern age, um, and now going back into the history of the setting, and seeing how your characters can affect that is just all of my interests are peaked right there. Another <laughs> thing I'm really looking forward to, which isn't a new game, but is an expansion of a game, is the um, the new Middle Earth box set from Cubicle Seven. Hmm. It's a fifth edition. Um, part of their their adventures in middle earth lord of the rings setting mm-hmm. um they're doing a box set specifically for the mines of moria no. so is um, that a like, is that a board game or is that a role playing no game? it's it's a big role playing game set uh campaign setting mm. cool. it's it's official 5th edition D&D meets lord of the rings um if you haven't checked out their adventures in middle earth players guide for 5e you definitely need to and what company is that Cubicle Seven. They're out of London. Interesting. That's that, I had not heard of that, but that that yeah, seems like a good fit. They they've already published a c- couple of Middle Earth books. Uh, this is the big uh, campaign book that they're doing. Um, but uh, it's the first time that there's been a Dungeon Dragons Lord of the Rings game because yeah. there's been lots of Dungeon Dragons and lots of Lord of the Rings, but they've never there there has not been a Lord of the Rings game using the D&D system, yeah. the current D&D system. When you said so. that, like, I got this look on my face, the I'm thinking real hard face. I'm like, you're totally right. You think it's this is it. Yeah. I, even, even, in, even in the days of the third edition OGL, it never happened. That's yep. that's bizarre. You had Decipher's uh, Lord of the Rings game based on the movies. Before yep. that, you had uh, Middle Earth, um, uh, Merp, uh, and then you also have Cubicle 7 before they did the fifth edition version they had the one ring which is mm-hmm. their own in-house system uh beautiful books but uh then they decided once wizards unlocked the ogl for 5e uh they were like let's do this and i think that's amazing. a match made in heaven personally because yeah. when the lord of the rings movie the first movie came out i got the role-playing book i bought it i still have it um and it was so interesting because it was like this weird mashup of D third third ed and white wolf Hmm. And they sort of just squished the system was just squishing them together. It was very odd, but it was it was kind of neat and fun. It's just I never got to play any games of it. I just thought it was very cool because it's, it did went into a lot of the setting details of what the setting of Lord of the Rings are, are like for someone who never really read like the actual Lord of the Rings books. Like, yeah, I think their license was very restrictive to the movies, so mm-hmm. that's why there was so much cool art from the movies, but they couldn't really put a ton of the stuff from the books that hadn't appeared on screen yeah licensees and that's just a labyrinth sort of system it's going to be so hard to actually navigate (laughs) yes uh as a publisher that has lots of licenses you (laughs) would be correct Uh, (laughs) no doubt so one of the things that you've you've brought up a lot is is the mythos like cthulhu and stuff like that so what is it uh you you obviously like the dark, the horror, and so like that. So, what is it about that particular genre that that you know that just strikes a chord with you? If you want to get all weird and nihilist, that's totally fine. <laughs> um, part of the thing I love about it is, um, um, if you look at the first Hellboy movie, for example, um, so good. <laughs> Hellboy himself is a creature from. Th- over there, wherever that happens to be, um, who fights against his own nature. And he's got really, you know, he's 
almost immortal and, and indestructible, but nobody else in that group is. Mm-hmm. And they make the choice every day to fight things that are going to destroy the world. And one of the great things you can do with a, a mythos storyline is you can um, you can be regular people fighting back, even though you know you're not going to win. But what matters is today. It matters right now that you are making a difference. Sometimes screaming at the void really is all you get, and you know that that's worth it. <laughs> yeah, and I love those kind of stories. I mean, my favorite characters in in like Buffy are Xander and Dawn because yeah. they don't have any powers, but they choose to stand by her side, knowing they're not the champion. They're not the witch they're not the vampire with a soul but the little bit they do contribute makes a difference and yeah I, I love those episodes where where the you know the the, the quote-unquote normal people get the spotlight uh and and they, you should see their contributions and i love the the fact that how the uh the buffy role-playing game uh highlighted that and made that a thing as well um i thought that the white hat distinction was was very cool yeah, it it allowed those characters uh, a chance to shine just as much as somebody playing a champion. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I are, uh, as far as what we look for in a game, would get along swimmingly because that's exactly the kind of role playing games I love. Is just the idea that you can just the normal guy doing a normal thing, but you're put in an ex- extraordinary situation, and you've got to try to do the best you can with what you got. Um, a very John McClaney like that. Um, and so uh, I, I definitely could dig that a lot. A fitting for well, the Christmas time. Yeah, yes. he's definitely not uh, normal. <laughs> okay, in the, in the first movie, I mean, yes. if anything, he's he's uh, a champion or uh, yeah. um, well, he, you know, he, he got, uh, an exalted. Yeah, he got more ridiculous as the movies <laughs> got along. I, I'm referring to the first one. The first yeah. one is the one where he's the most hard scrabble blue collar. I'm going to bleed and get uh, fucked up, but I'm going to win the day in the end because, well, it, it's a goddamn story, and that's in, what happens. In D20 Modern, he'd be referred to as the tough hero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Um, you knew they were going to get into the, into possible Supernatural once uh, Carl survived uh, <laughs> yeah. their fight at the end there because, that that to me, that's the moment when it flipped from gritty punch-up one guy against a bunch of guys into all right now we're into supernatural power <laughs> levels the, the next time they're going to fight north korean ghosts yeah i know <laughs> it, i've i've watched i think i've seen every single one of the die hard moms and uh, my god I, a good day to doesn't die doesn't he like hard, punch a fighter jet in one of them he does <laughs> run on a fighter jet Indeed, okay. and he, and he yeah. ran. I didn't a imagine that. It. So that that reminds me of, of something that I heard regarding John McClane. Uh, something that uh, uh, John Wick once said that uh, in, in his in his opinion, that the John McClane effect, as it relates to role playing, is that players want to be John McClane and that they want to get the shit kicked out of them, but then they want to get back up and then give the bad guy what for. Like that's that's sort of the 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 ideal experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want to earn it. Yeah, they want to feel like they earn it. And that's, that's, I think, if you wanted to have like one motto in my philosophy, as far as if I'm a GM and I'm telling a story with my players, that's kind of what I want too, is I want my players to earn it so that when they are victorious, assuming they are victorious, that they feel, they feel pride in that. Yeah, that sounds 
pretty accurate, I think. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, actually, we need to wrap it up. We're getting a little over time here. And again, we want to thank you, Matt, very, very much for coming on to this 50th episode of Polyhedron. Woo -woo. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Time went by super fast. I didn't realize where we were. <laughs> yeah, it does, man. It, you'd be no, amazed. It was a really great conversation. We thank you a lot. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on. Um, and so, uh, Matt, if people want to get in contact with you via the interbuts, how can they do that? Um, hitting the contact page on the Onyx Path website is a good way. Uh, hitting the contact page on uh, flamesrising.com is mm -hmm. another way. Uh, either of those, they all end up right on my phone. So um, <laughs> Fantastic. And don't worry, listeners, I will make sure when I'm going over the edits of the show, I should put everything I can into the show notes so everyone can link and get where they need to go as far as everything we've referenced this episode. Yeah, a lot of good recommendations this episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes well, yes. I, have a, I have a big list of links for you. Oh, fantastic. Oh, feel awesome. free to I've been, email I've been them compiling them as we've been talking. <laughs> nice. And this one, and this one, and this one. I even included uh, the unearthed edition role-playing game since you guys were talking about cavemans there's actually a role-playing game <laughs> called Og, where you play you know, cavemen and you hit each other with sticks we, we threw and, a dart in the dark and boy oh boy sometimes you, we just um, landed huh? in the game you only have a limited vocabulary you the player that's awesome. <laughs> I want to so get this you game you can now. pick like four to six words and that's it that's all you know. Everything else has to be done at the table using hand gestures, crude drawings on paper. Oh, my God. That sounds great, actually. Yeah. Pick your articles wisely. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, everyone, that's going to be nice, big, bold text in the show notes. All right, everybody, we've leveled up. We get prepositions this time. Oh, <laughs> shit. I've made fire. That's your three, buddy. Oh, no, no. You can say, like, stick, bang, food, ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch! That's, That's about it. Okay, so I you have, have to, to actually communicate using those four words. I have to check that out. <laughs> um, uh, as always, uh, you can find the show at Polyhedron Cast on Twitter, and I am at BioImportance on Twitter. I am at Arduous R J U O U S, and if the, you're the person who followed me today because of this podcast, rad. <laughs> <laughs> and I am at Divis Malkav. Twitter, I've got the Onyx Path. And uh, MMM666. Awesome. Oh, uh, excellent. If you want to give us feedback, um, you have notes for us, tell us we're doing a good job, um, email us at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. We'll even take that we're doing a bad job, actually, at this point. We'll mm -hmm. just take it. We're doing a good job. I think solid, solid B, B, maybe B plus. Well, I, we still haven't gotten an email that I get to read in a funny voice. It's true. Is that a Everyone. challenge? Yeah. yeah, no, we, we have a tradition of, like, if you send us hateful, like, something hateful or stupid, then Ryan will really just, like... Make fun of you yeah. very hard. Oh, I was at, since you haven't gotten one yet, I was, I was, that sounded like an invite to me. Oh, well, you know, hey. Hey, we'll <laughs> you take do all you, comers. man. We'll take all comers. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that's, again, that's polyhedronpodcast.gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, please leave us five thumbs up, five stars, review. It really helps with the visibility. Is five thumbs up a thing? Maybe. I don't know. Five meow, meow meow beans. Oh, yeah. We got to have our five meow meow There's beans. There's a thousand different podcatchers out there that all have their own like algorithms and systems. It's nutty. Also, uh, if you really like the show, as so many other people have already done, go to patreon.com slash polyhedron and become a patron today. Because this, all the money comes into the show, goes right back to make the show better. Um, I want to do more with it. There will be some revisions coming up down the line, probably around the new year, uh, with new content. So this is a good time to get on the train so that you can get that content 
right from the get-go. Yeah, we, you get like the first episode of our Shadowrun game for free, mm-hmm. but you got to pay for the next one. Yeah. And I promise you guys, you're really going to want this because we are ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's real fun to hear us uh, let loose. James is completely on fire with his GMing skills. It will be a treat, I promise you. If you love the quality that comes from the Dark Archive, he brings the same level of quality to this game. It's going to be fantastic. So from everyone here at Polyhedron, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice. Thanks, guys.